0: Welcome aboard. We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB. Action. Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 127. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And welcome to week two of What the February. If you guys didn't join us for last week's review of Fuzz Bucket with Scott from the dyslexic podcast go ahead and give that a listen we went over this in that episode we'll go over this again what the february are films that just make you say wtf either because these are films that you've only heard of through legend or perhaps these are things that you saw scrolling through the titles on disney plus after it launched and i can only speak for myself But when I see a film called The Apple Dumpling Gang starring Don Knotts, I went, WTF, could this possibly be?
1: They really didn't do themselves any favors either with the screen grab that they chose because you get the idea that it's sort of a Western, but you know that there's going to be like these two bumbling fools.
0: Right. And it's it's like... Is it a traditional Western that's kind of silly, like a Back to the Future 3? Or is this going to be Don Knotts on the Oregon Trail? What, <laughs> what d- Does he get dysentery at the end, like everybody on the Oregon Trail? What exactly happens in the Apple Dumpling Gang? His
1: oxen died when they tried to ford the river. Yeah.
0: So, and I, It's kind of what we're here to discuss, right?
1: Yeah, we've mentioned it on the show so many times. We've joked about it, but we figured what better time to actually jump in than now for What the February. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms and more. Listeners of Monoreal Radio get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram and Etsy and search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co. for all of your straw charm needs.
0: Set in Quake City in 1879, we meet Russell Donovan, a gambler who is en route to New Orleans when he meets John Wintle, an old friend. Wintle tells Donovan that he's leaving for San Francisco and needs someone to sign for the quote-unquote valuables that he has arriving the next day by stagecoach. He says that he will make it worth his while, so Donovan agrees. To his surprise, the valuables end up being three children, Bobby, Clovis, and Celia. Donovan reluctantly takes the children after learning that their parents had passed away. After a failed attempt at cooking dinner, Dusty arrives, who drove them in on the stagecoach, which... Uh, with stew for the kids to eat for dinner. Donovan also fails at securing a permanent home for the kids, as he has no interest in taking care of them himself. While having a good day at the poker table, Donovan becomes the target of Amos and Theodore, two former members of the Stillwell gang. The children, meanwhile, find themselves in their own trouble, wreaking havoc on Quake City and inadvertently draining all of Donovan's winnings. The next morning, the kids head off to try and dig for gold In a mine that their father had told them about, while in the mine an earthquake occurs, revealing a huge gold nugget valued at over $87,000. And this is in 1879, so this is an an awful lot of money. The nugget becomes the target of Amos and Theodore, while the children are now the targets of almost everyone in town who want to adopt them so that they can get their hands on the gold nugget although the only person that the kids want to be with is Donovan. In an attempt to protect the children, Donovan and Dusty devise a sham marriage, after which Donovan will finish his trip to New Orleans and Dusty will care for the children in a loving home and loving environment. After getting tangled in their own rope during a botched bank robbery, Amos and Theodore are quote-unquote sentenced to be hung. They're not actually going to hang them. The sheriff isn't going to hang them. They just want to scare them out of town. Meanwhile, the Stillwell gang is now targeting the bank and the gold. After their quote-unquote wedding, Dusty is enraged to hear that Donovan bought the brass bed that she had been wanting until she realizes that he bought the bed for the children. Later at the adoption hearing at which Dusty and Donovan are granted custody of the children, Wintle arrives claiming that he is ready to take the kids back as he is their next of kin. Now, of course, he has done this after learning that they have found the gold nugget. The next day, the children seek out to find Amos and Theodore and tell them that they can have the gold nugget because if they don't have the nugget anymore, Wintle won't want them and they can be returned to Donovan and Dusty. Amos deems the children the quote-unquote apple dumpling gang, And they agree to help the kids out. He calls them that because that's their favorite dessert. And as they said, how is it going to look in the history books when we go down in history if we jump onto this bank robbery with a bunch of children so they hide the identity as the Apple Dumpling Gang? When the gang arrives to rob the bank, they see that the Stillwells have already arrived to steal the nugget, and they take the children hostage. The authorities arrive and a shootout occurs. After a while, the Stilwells, trying to save their lives, ditch the gold, but instead take the kids as they retreat. As they run off, Dusty and Donovan pursue them to rescue Celia. Donovan and Stilwell get tossed into a river, but Donovan subdues Stilwell, leading to his arrest as well as the rescue of Celia. After the bank is blown to bits by some old dynamite that... Amos and Theodore had been handling, the nugget is broken into pieces and spread all over town. Wintle now has no interest in the children, but Donovan is rewarded $5,000 for the capture of the Stillwells. He uses the money to buy the old Benson house to raise the children in. Donovan, Dusty, the children, as well as Amos and Theodore all leave together to go live in their new home. So, the movie comes out in 1975. I have to be honest with you. And I said the same thing about Pete's Dragon, which if I remember correctly, came out in 77. This was when Disney sort of fell into a trap. And I think that the trap came after Walt had passed away because 1975, Walt's been gone for nine years. They fall into the trap where they start making these really family-friendly, hokey slapstick films that even, like, it. The movie feels outdated now because it came out in 1975. Now, that's not to, I'm not confusing this with it's a bad film. We'll, we'll delve into it a little bit more here. But I get the feeling that the film felt dated in 1975, like it felt like something that should have come out in the early 60s.
1: It is so funny that you say that because my biggest takeaway was that for something that came out almost nine to ten years after his passing, to me, this feels like one of the most Walt movies in the catalog. I mean, it, it feels like his hands were in it in some way. And whether that was because this was a book... Um. So who knows how long they were developing it? Because we've seen it a million times with Mary Poppins, or um,
0: Swiss Family Robinson. He would acquire these stories,
1: Treasure Island. Yeah, and they would sit on them for Alice. a while. Yes, and and then finally, you know, they'd be greenlit into production.
0: The Jungle Book. I mean, you could literally go. With, I mean, Beauty and the Beast. That was that was something Walt had started toying with. Even and it came Frozen, out in they I had I the know. Snow
1: Queen. So it's very possible that maybe he did do a little bit of pre-production on it and just never got to see it come to fruition. But to me, this feels like a Walt movie. And I think it's also interesting that you bring up Peach Dragon because to me, that's like the biggest comp.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I know that that's not one that you love. It was one that I grew up on. Um, But I feel like this is the more serious Peach dragon. It's Pete's dragon without the whimsy, obviously because there's no animated dragon in right. it. But if we're just zeroing into that era of the pioneers and, and you know, a small town, the only, the biggest difference really is that one was a Western and one takes place in, you know, a little town by the sea, obviously with the lighthouse. But um, I was definitely reminded of Peach dragon and also reminded of, you um, it's a mad world. Yes. Which I believe Don Knotts was in Yes, two. he was. Um, but it just had, what I wasn't expecting was that quality of chasing after the money. Um, I, I really wasn't expecting that from this movie at all.
0: Yeah, you think that this is just going to be a, uh-oh, here are these orphans and I, I'm stuck with them. What do I do? And we have to learn to become a family. There is an added layer of risk yes and sort of i i'll go so far as to say thrill there's a little bit of thrill in this because and i think to to piggyback off of what you said it's a it while not taking place in california it is or no this does take place in california it's just not in san francisco correct um it's it's the it's the california gold rush It's the Old West, it's wagons, and it's kind of got like a cowboy feel. And it's slapsticky, but it's good for the family. And I think that's why it feels like a Walt Disney-specific film. When I say Walt Disney, I don't mean the company, I mean the man. Right. Because this seems like the type of story he would have wanted to tell. And I think that having that added layer of going after the gold... And, and and sort of the drama of trying to protect the children from literal literal cold diggers um, is something that, based on a screen grab alone, is not at all what I thought this was going to be.
1: To a point where I really feel like Disney Plus would benefit from rewriting the description blurb of what this film is about and perhaps choosing another screen grab, which I don't think they're ever going to do because really Don Knotts had the most star power and and same you know I, I don't want to I'm not throwing shade at Tim Conway either because really this is how they met and they had a very successful uh professional relationship yeah. following this movie they did I mean obviously there was a sequel and whether or not we needed one we are going to find out but um they performed in like five movies together and they had a, a long-lasting friendship and um I get why they went with them for the screen grab, but it is so misleading.
0: I would have rather seen the screen grab of the kids in the mine during the earthquake. And I think that if you would have set it up like that and kind of gave this film, I mean, it is a comedy. But I think if you sold it a little bit more as an adventure comedy, rather than just a slapstick, because you just think you're going to see Don Knotts fall off a chair and fall down the stairs. Right. I mean yes those things will happen in the movie but i think there is a way that they could sell this where it doesn't come off as cheesy as i think a lot of people think ourselves included in this
1: well the other thing and i think this is maybe the more i don't want to say egregious that's a strong word but they are your B story the kids are the A story
0: are they though and that's that's where the that's where the movie really gets interesting oh well that's a good question yeah, all right. All right let's, let's... let's yeah, we're going to get into this. It it does feel like a good old-fashioned western from the from the jump. From the music, from the scenery, from the text that they use during the opening credits. I mean, let's just they don't make movies like this anymore.
1: No, they don't. They did such a great job of setting up this town it was filmed on the Disney backlot. Um, yeah, the ranch. So they yeah. did have most of this at their disposal, uh, but I feel like they just did such a great job of painting this picture, especially when we get to the saloon and they're playing poker. There's a great piece of dialogue in the opening scene that really establishes how small the town is when they're in the saloon and we're meeting a character for the first time, and when he's approached he's like, well, if you want the barber, I'm closed. If you want... The sheriff, he's off duty. And if you want the judge, I forget exactly. I think my
0: courthouse opens on Monday. There
1: you go. Yeah. But the the delivery of the line is so great and it's so funny and it packs such a punch. But it also does a great job of, wow, this one guy does these three things.
0: Yeah. And you have, what what amazes me, I think the costumes in this movie are fantastic. They're incredible. I think the costumes are as good as the sets. The sets are incredible. So you have this really, really impressive Western set. And what I love that they do with the costumes specifically, and it shows in the first five to 10 minutes of the movie, specifically though in this scene, is you've got your rough and tumble guys, their clothes are dirty, they're tattered. You have the judge, sheriff, barber, who is all one person and he's a little bit more refined. But you get this Donovan, you get Russell Donovan.
1: who looks like Shane, but... We'll overlook that
0: but he's got the ruffled shirt with the proper bow tie he's got the black suit the black hat he's completely put together clean shaven you can see that he's slick but he's also a different level of class than everyone else and I, i don't mean that offensively but there's something about him you see him ride into town you see him here it's very obvious out of the gate That we know nothing about him other than he does not belong in Quake City. And that gets fleshed out as he explains that, no, I'm on my way to New Orleans just passing through.
1: Right. I also really like the Pa character um, because same thing, the dressing is a little bit misleading. Aside from the fact that he looks like Colonel Sanders.
0: Yes, he does.
1: uh, He's dressed in the white suit, but he's also the town drunk So I think that paints a really interesting picture, too, is that you've got somebody that's more well-to-do, but he's still stealing booze from behind the bar.
0: Right. And his daughter, she does basically all the work. Her name is Magnolia, but they call her Dusty. And they never come out and say why, but if you look at her, she's Dusty in every outfit. She's Dusty in, you know, her face is always covered in dirt and soot because she's... She's what keeps the wheel turning for her drunk father who's always, oh, I left my purse. And he, he has <laughs> like that old Louisiana drawl to him. Which is old kind
1: money. of distracting considering that they're in California. I mean, I guess we'll we'll look past it because I have to imagine they traveled out there, but
0: I digress. But, but it is that old Southern charm. Yes. But at the end of the day, he's just a swindler. And he's got money because he's got deep park deep pockets, and alligator arms.
1: That's a very colorful way to put it. I really wish that they had explored Dusty a little bit more. I mean, that's not to say that she's not a well-developed character, but I really wish that they had gotten into why she is the one that is pulling all of the strings for her father because she's a working woman, which in these times was not very common, especially because she's like a ranch hand slash stagecoach driver. She's doing almost as many jobs as the sheriff, um, you know, and she's an unmarried woman. It it just wasn't common. And I kind of wish that they had, just for the edutainment of it, explored that a little bit more.
0: Did Pete's Dragon rip that off from this movie? Ooh. the the The, the, the town drunk who people really don't take seriously... The daughter that seemingly holds, she's the glue that holds everything in place, especially with the lighthouse and all that. Did they pull from this too much?
1: That's really interesting. I had never put that together. I think because Nora's so different because she's also working with her dad in the lighthouse. So, yes, she is a working woman, too. But um, they don't show a lot of Dusty's home life.
0: Correct. Correct.
1: You also do get the impression that she travels a lot, and she's not, you know, like she has a home base here, but she's not there as much. You know, she doesn't have. She has the roots, but she's not. She's nomadic. They they paint yeah, her really not good, tied down exactly, um, and you don't get that at all from Nora. But that is an interesting amount of parallels. I I really didn't put that together.
0: And what this movie does a lot and we'll talk about Dusty specifically here, is that they don't really overtly come out and say anything about the character that would lead you to understanding what their background is. In this film, it's a lot more action-driven or conversation between two characters. Like, for example, Dusty, the, her nickname, how she looks, the way that she supports her father. The whole brass bed thing, and she's looking at this brass bed, and she's just, oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. And you know that she's saving for it, and you know that it's something that she wants because it's like a status thing for her. It's what she does not have. It's, they never have to come out and tell you, and I think that they don't necessarily have to show you that home life the way that they do with Nora, because I think between her physical appearance and and conversations and desires like the Brass Bed, I think that that tells you exactly who she is without you having to show us, per se. Does that make sense, what I'm saying here?
1: It does, and it's better screenwriting
0: for it, but we
1: also don't get that backstory of, is she a widow?
0: Right. You know,
1: or it was she just never married? And I think that that's more of a commentary on, on the time because that kind of does sort of make a big difference in why... She is doing this other than her father, whereas for Nora, she's not married yet because Paul is always out at sea, so she has nowhere else to go. It's it's two different
0: situations. Right, and it's not like Natty Gan where Natty is this tomboy because her mama's not around and her daddy raised her like a boy. You don't get that fleshed out here.
1: Yeah, so just a little piece of that would have rounded her out a
0: little bit more. But other than
1: that, she is a great character. I do like her. She's one of my favorite parts about this movie.
0: I also love the setup here. I think it's a great setup with the valuables. Yes. That Wintel won't tell him, Donovan this is, he won't tell Donovan exactly what the valuables are, but you can tell, I mean, we know what the valuables are going to be based on the description of the film. But he's trying to like, move overnight and just vanish and he's I'll make it worth your while I'll pay you and he gave him money up front and he made sure that the judge was there the judge slash sheriff was there to see that this this business agreement had taken place and he's just like oh I'm out goodbye Right. And you don't really connect the dots
1: either, because when Dusty brings them in, it's over the opening credits. So you've got the song, which I was kind of surprised that for a a film that's not a musical there, there's a lot of exposition in that song. Um, And you kind of get hung up because you have these three kids and one of them keeps making her stop to use the bathroom. So I never put the two and two together, even from the description that, oh, these are, in fact, the valuables. I thought the stories were going to run parallel, not realizing that this is where they were going to tie it all together.
0: Oh, see, I knew right away when he said the valuables were coming, I knew he meant the children because he just seemed so desperate to get away from them, this Wintle. So I I mean, but I guess it, it's open for interpretation. They, ne- they, they don't say it, but I kind of picked up right away on what they were throwing out there. But again, the The screenwriting and the acting, based on how he was acting, that to me was the blueprint for he wants nothing to do with these children.
1: And see, I didn't get that until the second viewing In the first viewing. I mean, it, and it's just a lot to take in up front. But in the first viewing, I wasn't 100 percent sure whether or not he knew what he was getting. Mm. I just knew he didn't want to sign for it and didn't want it. But that wasn't made clear until we watched it again. That he was manipulating this whole situation.
0: Right. And you talked about how Celia constantly, constantly with the I got to go, I got to go. You see it in the opening credits. It's a bit that they they kind of pull out of their pocket a lot to the point where it almost becomes annoying. But they showed restraint and they were able to stop it before it got to that point. Bingo.
1: I also think it's kind of redeeming because Celia is just so sweet and innocent. And by the time she really is, by the time you get to that first night in the home, I love how they call him Mr. Donovan Mm -hmm. and they are so respectful. But that first night, she kind of cuddles up to him. And I just think it speaks to the character so much that you know, all he did was feed them dinner and he's kind of made it clear at this point that he wants nothing to do with them. I mean, he's
0: overtly told them.
1: Yeah, he definitely doesn't mince words when it comes to, all right, well, tomorrow I'm going to unload you guys. And yet she still takes to him.
0: I know. She's such a sweet character. Yeah. She's actually, I think she's one of the best characters in the movie. And I, I think that the child actress was really, really good too.
1: Yes, Stacy Manning played Celia and this was really the only movie that she did.
0: So she was kind of like a one-and-done, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine that maybe being a child actress was just a little bit too much for her because she's so talented. I can't imagine that she wasn't offered more roles, especially when you saw Disney's tendency to, you know... I mean, we've talked about it all the time with the Disney contract that if they like you, they will keep coming back to you. But with the child actress specifically, you had somebody like Bobby Driscoll who was in... Uh,
0: he was in Treasure Island. Treasure
1: Island, Song of the South. And then later, even when he was starting to grow up, he was Peter Pan.
0: Right. And of course, uh, Haley Mills, another yes. one. A um, net funicello. Like, yeah, you could sit there and go down. You could just check, 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 check. When Disney fell in love with a child, they would hang on to them. And yeah, I mean, I don't know why... The the, the weird thing about this movie is there's not an awful lot out there about the production of it. So I don't really know what happened to her, but I am surprised sitting here as you're telling me that she was basically a one and done. Unlike Don Knotts, I want to talk about Amos and Theodore, and I want to talk about Don Knotts and Tim Conway. Knotts, not that you didn't know this before, he is an absolute treasure. Going from the Andy Griffith days, really until until the day that he died, he was so funny. And I think that at times people talk about the Mickey Rooney's of the world and they talk about more of your modern-day comedians. And I think that, and it's generational. People nowadays, people of our age, will talk about like the Adam Sandlers, right, of right. the world. But Don Knotts, I don't want to say he's forgotten about, but I think he's underappreciated for what he did for this industry. And I think that this movie, in spite of the fact that he's very much a secondary character, because really him, you know, Theodore and Amos are really just like an added element, they're the comic relief. They're kind of what lightens the mood a little bit. I feel like this movie showcases his talents very well from sarcastic delivery to the way he would emote with his eyes. Because I think everybody thinks about it. Everybody thinks about Don Knotts' eyes. For sure. It's the first thing you think about when you think of Don Knotts. But for a man that was middle aged as well when this movie came out, the fact that he could still do physical comedy, I think this is a really strong showcase for him.
1: I definitely agree with everything you said, but I certainly don't think he was forgotten about because he was actively working up until 2006.
0: I know that, but I'm saying I think there's a certain generation of of people, and I think this is where the the brilliance and, and where the gift of a Disney Plus is, is new generations can find films like this and get to know a Don Knotts. Right. Amos and Theodore together to me, are one of the funniest duos that we've ever seen out of any Disney film.
1: Right, and this is where it's like, okay, I get why they went with them as the screen grab. I think, like you said, to promote this as an adventure film is more accurate to what it is and might hook the younger viewers in a little bit more, but for people our age and older now i kind of get why they went with these two
0: they're they're an early version of marvin harry because yeah. they're bumbling fools who are thieves who are not well no i'm not going to say they're not terribly good at what they do they are they are their own foils i think marvin harry were better than these two were they just ran into kevin mcallister but i love that you've got and it's formulaic You've got the silly guy and the straight guy. You've seen this since vaudeville. But the way that they bounce off of each other is great. They both carry the load with the physical comedy. And you have Amos, who's played by Tim Conway, is very funny because he really is just a bumbling fool. And I think Theodore is funny because he's the smart aleck that says things like, you couldn't sell hacksaws in a jail, which is a great line. So he's funny because he's sarcastic, but it's also funny because Amos serves as his foil. The two of them together, I can see why they went on to make a string of films after this and why they blended together so well.
1: They're so great together. I actually was wishing, though, for just a little bit more physical comedy. There's a lot, but I guess I'm thinking... What I really wanted was was to see something like the sword fight in Pirates of the Caribbean between Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom, where you're using the set to your advantage more.
0: Yeah.
1: And at one point, we will get to this, of course, they do completely tear apart the set and they destroy it and blow it up. But um, I guess I'm thinking more with with the latter bit. It was funny, but I would have liked to have seen them as predictable as it is climbing the ladder falling off swinging it around that kind of thing
0: right this is the scene where they steal the ladder from the firehouse because they're going to break through the skylight in the bank to steal the gold nugget and there is a very funny scene with this expandable ladder i'm not going to spoil it go watch the film but it's but but even in that scene it's it could have been something like they trip over themselves and it's funny but the way that they do it where Don Knotts is kind of taking up the rear on the back end of the ladder and Amos is like going through it, it without spoiling it there was a very easy out and he didn't take it until they realized it was too late and Don Knotts just rolls his eyes and Amos goes to take the same route again and Don Knotts gets so frustrated over it Um and then when they expand the ladder to actually get into the bank and the thing breaks it, yeah that is one of the few scenes where you get a lot of the physical comedy. And I thought that there was going to be more of that. Like you, I thought there would be more of that. But because I think they are secondary characters, I think they're secondary characters the way the kids are. Given more screen time, we may have gotten more of it, and perhaps we will get more of it in Apple Dumpling Gang Rides again. Mm Mm-hmm. But that as well took me by surprise.
1: The brilliance of that scene, though, is that there's no dialogue because they are trying to steal this ladder under the cover of darkness. So it's not until towards the very end of the scene that they start talking. So yeah. it's very strong in the sense that they pull all of this off without speaking. But I just wish that there was maybe a little bit more slapstick involved with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think if you if you think about some of the classic Hollywood really strong comedic duos like a Laurel and Hardy or an Abbott and Costello. This bit in particular, I think is almost as strong as anything those other duos did. Definitely. So now let's let's go into the mine. I want to go into the mine. Such a well done scene. It's incredible. So the kids go in because the whole time they've been saying, we're going to go dig for gold. We're going to go dig for gold. And then they said like, the gold veins have dried up. That's why people have moved on now to San Francisco. They've moved on from Quake City. Right, but
1: this is also their family's mind. They know this is like the one thing that belongs to their name. These kids are orphans, right. but they do have a family mind, and part of it is that they
0: just want to go explore it. Right, because at the at the end of the day, they want they want the riches because they want Mr. Donovan to see the value in them, but... It's like Stand By Me. They're kids on an adventure. Right. And i that's where I kind of wish Disney would sell this a little bit more. But the scene, the, the thing is with it, it's a very quick scene. The whole adventure element is very quick. Mm-hmm. But when they do it, it's fantastic. I think the mindset is incredible.
1: The set is wonderful. And and then, you know, not to spoil too much, but, uh, well, that is kind of
0: what we do. <laughs> yeah. But
1: there's an earthquake. But the Which is production why they call value, it Quake City.
0: its built on a fault line,
1: right? And they do—they do bury that in yeah. in the opening dialogue. Um, but it's just so well done—the way that they're shaking the set and the camera—and um, and the kids are great in this scene too. They it's are very
0: realistic. It's real, and and that's that's the really intriguing part about this for me, and where I think this movie has so many different layers for characters that are sort of just tropes of the time period the movie's got a lot of layers to it because this scene in particular it's innocent it starts innocent because these are just kids that are out on an adventure and we're going to find the gold guys right it, like i said i mentioned stand by me although they were looking for a dead body goonies goonies is a better example but remember something movies like stand by me and goonies they, they pull, don't exist without this they pull from a movie like this so it seems innocent enough But it's exciting nonetheless because the earthquake strikes, the set is shaking, but the mine starts to close in around them. And now you're wondering, like, does this become a rescue film? Right. And they find a 300-pound gold nugget. Now you're just excited for the kids because they keep saying we're going after it and people are basically, no, it's not there. It's not there. We dried it up. We tried. It's gone. It's gone. You'll find nothing. So there is something redeeming where the kids, not only do they get victory for themselves, but they also redeem their family name.
1: Right. And what I love about it, too, is that the innocence doesn't come from just wanting an adventure. They don't want this money so that they can spend it. They recognize that this money would put them in control of their situation. Not that they're trying to buy Mr. Donovan, but they know that with this money comes the power to get what they want. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: And all they want is, you know, like a stable family life. It is very innocent.
0: Right. And that's where the movie gets this added layer of drama, because up to this point, Donovan is bringing these kids to basically every household where there's a husband and a wife, which was another very interesting thing that he did. He did not want to leave them in a situation that didn't have what was at the time considered the structured family, man and wife. So he's going house to house and everywhere they go, they're either not interested or the kids do something to foil it. And it's kind of intentional because you have that beautiful scene with Celia where she has to go again. And he's, you know, Donovan tells her no. And you mentioned it before. And and she goes, well, I'm going to have an accident. And he goes to take her out and, and she smiles at him. She says, I like you, Mr. Donovan. Yeah, It's such a good scene. So you know the kids really only want to be with him. So... It, it starts turning out that way because they're getting rejected everywhere they go, oh, except now. Now, there is a line of people waiting to adopt them, and there's a scene that I think is sort of understated after they find the gold. And this is where you find out, this is where they really start to plant the apple dumpling thing.
1: Right, and it's where the whole movie flips on its head. I, I love the turning point with these
0: kids at this point. Donovan takes them to a nice restaurant, he buys them new clothes, and he gets Celia a really nice dress that she is so excited about, because is maybe five years old, I mean, she's she's a little girl, and they say, you know, Mr. Donovan says, we can have all the apple dumplings we want, because it's their favorite food, and she starts to twirl around in her dress, and I I, I think about it's i mean it's so produced and so processed but when you get the disney vacation planner video <laughs> and you get the little girl at bibbidi bobbidi and she's just twirling in her dress she well, wants to be a princess you got to
1: walk out of bibbidi
0: bobbidi in, in front motion. of the
1: castle and then twirl in slow motion there you go you get
0: the fairy godmother with the with the glitter but i mean ultimately i look at that and i think wow this is this, this is a little girl that wants to be a Disney princess. And that's not, obviously not what they're going for, but that's, that's what you get. And you get these ne'er-do-well gold diggers that just start pulling at her because they're trying to possess her, and they rip her dress. And she is so upset because all she can talk about is this beautiful dress that he literally just bought for her. But what this scene does... Because you you don't know whether you can trust Donovan,
1: right. because he's still talking about his plan. even though it's clear that the kids have charmed him. He's certainly taken a liking to them at this point that goes beyond just, oh, they have money. He's trying to use the money in a way that's going to best serve them. And you know, he's he's enjoying them himself and he's enjoying seeing the kids starting to have some
0: fun. they've They've never had anything before, and I think he recognizes that. Correct. But when she gets so upset and he's immediately, well, we'll get it fixed. And he's very calming. But he is so soft. It's the first time you've seen him soft with her. Forget the boys. It's about Celia in this scene for me. And it's the first time that I felt I can trust this guy. You know ultimately he's going to end up with them. It's just the formula for these films. But I wondered how they were going to get there. This, to me... I'm not going to say it's his character arc. That comes with the sham marriage with Dusty. But I think it's close. I think it's very close to to becoming his character arc. Well, I think... You know, if you're thinking of
1: this like a literal arc, I think we're at the peak right now. And then he kind of starts to slide down before he comes full circle. Um... Before we move on, though, from the scene, I think what's really interesting, the way that they did it, too, when her dress tears, it's because this gaggle of people come in. But it's all women. It's all the town women. Because Donovan has pitched the married couples on this idea of taking in these kids. And he's trying to sell them on, well, they can work for you. They can help you with the farm. They're strong boys, da-da-da. But it's all of these women that burst through the door. And they go right for her. Yeah. They could care less about the other two kids.
0: They just want her.
1: And they're trying to, you know, feign this maternal instinct. Um, But yes, as far as Donovan's character arc, I think you're right. I think this is where we learn that we can trust him. But they still sort of try and toe the line because of the sham marriage.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about this.
1: I love this.
0: I love everything about this. I love the fact that they. this, to me, is his character arc because you know Dusty is good. Dusty is pure.
1: Right, and she's come to bail him out of almost every situation, whether it was, you know, he was having a rough time making them dinner the first night. She came with the soup. What I like is that it gives her bigger stakes in the lives of these kids.
0: Right, but he devises this plan where... Now he's given up completely on finding what was the atypical household with the loving husband and loving wife. And now it's, I just got to get them into with, with somebody who's going to take care of them.
1: Oh, see, I disagree. And I think this is the arc because he doesn't want to leave them with just anyone. And that's why he hasn't left town yet. He wants to make sure they're with good people.
0: Well, that's what I'm getting to. He goes to her and says, let's do this sham marriage. We're going to fake getting married so we can end up with these kids. But ultimately, I'm still going to New Orleans. But I'm leaving them with you because you will make sure that they are taken care of properly. I think the scam is great. I think the scene is great. Because you see that, first off, I love that you get the sheriff slash barber slash uh judge because they come into the barber shop as he's shaving somebody they go we need you he's like law barber or justice of the peace and love it he's like justice of the peace and he leaves the guy half shaven he's like okay two bits and he goes well i only got half a shave and he's like well a full one's four get out i'll see you next week and he goes you guys go together like ice cream and whiskey I think it's a great line. I also think ice cream and whiskey go fine together. There's nothing wrong with that. But I love the line, and I love the fact, because he's been rooting for them the whole time. Because ultimately, the Sheriff has been wanting them to get together. And he's so excited at first, and then he realizes that it's a sham, and he's like, well, all right, I'll go for it. And...
1: I think he kind of knows at that point too, and he's like, "Well, I'm getting what I want anyway, and this is all going to work out in the end, so let's just do it."
0: Right. I love the fact that he's like, "Do you want love, honor, cherish, and all of that?" And Donovan's like, "Just get this over with." And Dusty's like, "Well, I'd, I'd like to at least hear it." And it's basically spaceballs. Do you? Do you? Okay, kiss her, and they don't. Ki- they shake hands. This entire scene is great because. It, it is his character arc. He's putting the kids into the hands of the right person. But there is now another added layer of drama because she's clearly caught something for him. And up to this point in time, he is not on the same page.
1: What I love in this scene too is that Celia has flowers that she gives to Dusty. And of course it's such a Celia thing to do, but... You know, aside from the, the sweet and innocent gesture, I also love that Dusty, who has sort of been the tomboy, recognizes that it's still her wedding day. She's still a bride. And it's some, you know, just for the sake of tradition, it's something that she should have.
0: Right. And talking about her being the tomboy, there's a little bit of dialogue much earlier in the film where, you know, the saloon is the place for the gentleman. Yes. And Dusty and Donovan are talking and he goes buy you a drink oh I'm sorry I'm sorry I didn't mean and she was like no I understand and that comes full circle later on in the movie because he said he would never make that mistake again after he's caught feelings for her but I thought that was a very interesting piece of dialogue where he thought of her as that tomboy and immediately apologized for it
1: right I think there's a lot to unpack with that, because I feel like that's something that's going to totally get lost on today's generation yeah. is that he was asking her out like, you're one of the guys, come have a drink with me, yes. buddy. And of course, because she sort of has feelings for him where she's crushing a little bit, it's totally offensive to her. Now it's like, you know, in the generation of Netflix and chill,
2: mm-hmm.
1: being asked to go out and, and getting boozed up is like nothing.
0: It's nothing now, but it was a big deal then, and you're right. I think that is over the head of a, of a more modern viewing audience. Right. But it's, it's powerful when it happens, but it's even more powerful after this scene because now you understand the depths at which that insult is hurled because it's more than just a skin-deep insult when it comes to Dusty.
1: Right, and especially because then... They're talking about going out to celebrate what they've just done. And even though it's for all intents and purposes, I'll call it a loveless marriage, which we know is not really the case. But at this point they haven't really exposed their true feelings for each other. So Donovan takes this as an opportunity to go and celebrate with the judge and the judge is buying him a drink and he leaves dusty to go take care of the kids and they don't get to go and celebrate their wedding together.
0: Right. And that's where I think Dusty is already an endearing character who you feel bad for or you feel sorry for. That's where this really starts to pick up steam.
1: Right. And it's not that I don't trust Donovan anymore at this point, but I was kind of like, oh, what a scumbag. He's married (laughs) for two seconds, and then he leaves her at home with the kids.
0: Right. and and, well, he's out drinking with the boys. And what happens next with the brass bed, it's funny, but it continues to unpack that yes. drama because she takes the kids in to go get some candy cane. Or what was it? No, it was li- it was licorice. a licorice whip mm. and two jelly beans. That was all they could have. But she also had to get clothes for the children. And she sees that the brass bed is getting packed up. Right. And
1: she's already going into mom
0: mode. I got to get you clothes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on in this
1: one scene because I like the marriage scene, but I think the scene before when Donovan gets her to agree to the marriage is even more powerful because he's got to preface it with, I want nothing from you. This is just a business arrangement. There's nothing romantic about it. And she basically tells him, all right, well, don't take advantage of me.
0: Yes. Um, so he goes and buys this bed. And she finds out that he bought it and she goes ballistic because she knew that, well, she had told him that she had wanted it. And now this guy who's leaving goes and buys it. And she goes into the saloon and this entire scene, it's got hard at the end. But leading up to that point, it's hysterical because she comes in. They're all boozing up. They're having a good time. She's hitting him. She's punch- punching him. She's chasing him, throwing bottles around, dumping beer on him, breaking tables, flipping poker chips. And there's a great line with the judge where I think it was the banker says, "What happened to them?" And he goes, well, "They got married." It's really funny.
1: My one issue with that scene, I feel like it was well choreographed because, you know, it's it's your Type A Western, the saloon gets destroyed. The bottles are breaking. The tables are flipping. So you got everything that you expected. It's just that the pacing, I feel like, is a little slow because every time she's ready to take a swing at Donovan or throw something across the room, the wind-up is too slow. Like, it just would have done... I think it would have benefited from being a little bit quicker with the setups. But otherwise, it's a great scene.
0: And the payoff is great because she hits him with the spittoon... And then she dumps beer on his head to uh, bring him back to consciousness. He's laid out on a pool table, and he goes, what is all of this about? And she goes, the brass bed. And he goes, I bought that for the children because they need a warm place to sleep. And the payoff is great because now he has... He has pulled his 180. He hasn't come full circle. He's he's pulled the 180. He is now thinking selflessly instead of selfishly. And she goes, why didn't you just say that from the start? So it's a very funny end to the scene where she has just torn this place apart. And then she grabs Celia and goes, this is no place for a lady.
1: I love the irony in that line. And I love that we see Donathan- Donovan just completely lose his mind
0: screaming
1: because he has up until this point too been under a lot of pressure with the responsibility of these kids and he's trying to do the right thing and he just got beat up for it it's Mm -hmm. great
0: now you get the added layer of the Stillwells have arrived and they are after the gold
1: right and what i really like about what they did here is that it's not just some random gang from a neighboring town that's heard about the gold and and wants to take a claim on it um this was amos's old gang
0: well amos and theodore were both in it
1: oh i didn't realize it was both of them because amos shot still well he's still got his leg in in, in a this, brace in yeah. a brace and he yeah. shot him by
0: accident of course it was never intentional
1: Right. Well, of course, that's the whole character. So I like that they and and that's what we were kind of talking about with Dusty is like just that little backstory goes a long way. You know, it's something that's almost a quick one off line blink and you'll miss it. And it comes into play later now that these people are showing up again. What I was really not expecting to happen here is that the kids now want to team up with Theodore and Amos ...to stage this robbery.
0: I love that that happens. Rather than just go in and give it to them, because they could, they want it to be stolen because then it's out of their hands, and they're sort of repaying Amos and Theodore because Amos and Theodore were the ones that pointed them in in the direction of the mine when the kids got lost. So... This is their way of saying, hey, thanks, and we don't want it anymore because we want to stay with Donovan. Right. It's so well done. I love this twist. And I love the fact that you get Slim Pickens as Stillwell. Now I feel like it is your golden Hollywood western because Slim Pickens is in the movie. Talk about being typecast. He, when he dresses up as the Reverend time and time again... I think this is very important character development because you've heard about Stilwell, but you haven't seen him, but he, he becomes so important so quick and it's it's really in the final act of the film. So you've got to flesh him out as this villain. I love the fact that he keeps dressing up as this reverend because people trust a man of the cloth. They have no idea that they're talking to this brutal criminal.
1: Right, and then he goes into the saloon and he's offered a drink and he's like, no, I don't imbibe, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't buy that for a second.
0: But he takes the money and goes. But I'll I'll accept this as a donation for the poor.
1: Yes, it's so quick, but so much development
0: here. It's like it's like watching Friar Tuck come to life, <laughs> but for all the wrong reasons. It's I I love that they do this because it's funny, but it serves to develop the intelligence of the character.
1: Right. So now we're at the point where the kid's plan gets foiled because Stillwell shows up. And there's pretty much a double robbery happening here. And exactly what you would expect of a Western happens. And they yes. have the shootout and all hell breaks loose.
0: It's so good.
1: What I love is that up until this point, they have used the gunshots so judiciously. And it's not just your typical shoot up Western. I mean, it's proven that in the slapstick it's proven it in the story with the kids, but it's not just your okay. We're gonna go out in the middle of the street and say draw. They've used the gunshots comedically where uh, they need to get Amos and Theodore down when they're the first time they attempted to rob the bank. Yes. the sheriff shoots them down from the ceiling because they're hanging by a rope and he shoots the rope. The second time we've heard a gunshot is when the judge is asking for order in the court when uh, you know they're they're out to determine who's gonna get these kids and now we see them used in the more in the way that you'd expect where there's more traditional up way. <laughs> what was um interesting to learn though, and there's really not a lot of production notes on this film. Um they had this old western town built on the lot. So they actually did two more banks. So there's the one that we see in the traditional filming and then you needed two more because it gets absolutely Torn to pieces and then blown up. So you needed the one that they were going to wreck, and then you needed the one that they were going to char. Um, but it, it's a credit to the filmmaking because you know we've said it a million times: the sets are absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, and nowadays it would be CGI, right? Which it shouldn't be. The shootout is great. It's the perfect mix for me of exciting and funny. Yes, and I I love the chase and the rescue of Celia as well, and that it's Dusty and Donovan together. What I did not see, you just assume because this is a slapstick family friendly film that they're just gonna uh, rescue Celia or Stillwell's going to do something to foil himself and he's gonna fall down. What you don't see is that Stillwell and Donovan get tossed into the river and then continue to fight. Stillwell's trying to drown Donovan and they really do, they have to completely subdue Stillwell. I did not see that coming. I didn't
1: either. I think this scene sort of drags a little bit, but it does speak a lot to the character that even though their lives are in peril, he's still going after Donovan and not trying to save his own skin and and get off this fire truck that is, yeah. they've stolen and, and is now being used as a, a whitewater raft.
0: Yeah, basically. But the end of the movie, now after... All hell is broken loose. They've got the kids back. The gold is gone. I love the fact that the gold gets given back to the town.
1: Well, it's blown up. It's in a million pieces, so everybody gets a piece.
0: Because the whole time they keep saying, this is what this town was built on, and we dried it up, and we have nothing left. So now it goes back to everybody else. And the kids and and uh, Donovan are left with seemingly nothing. So now, what's Donovan going to do? Well, he gets the $5,000 as a reward for capturing Stillwell and hands it right over to the bank to get the deed to the Benson house. And now you've seen Dusty. Dusty went from Dusty to Magnolia because now <laughs> she's got the bonnet, she's got the dress, she's got the umbrella. I love that dress. Looks like she'd be walking onto a wraparound porch on a Victorian house in Louisiana. She kind of looks to me like she'd be walking on a tightrope and then you don't know that there's an alligator underneath her. Oh. Now that, that's true. That could be. She's got the parasol. Mm Mm-hmm. And they go to the Benson house with her father and they pick up Amos and Theodore because they need a place to go. They can't go back into town. So you do get a happy ending
1: you do and what I love about it too is that that was such a trope of all these western like oh it's this gang it's that gang but like now we see this group of ragtag people come together and form a family and now they've just kind of bestowed this nickname on them of the apple dumpling gang but now they all have this sense of belonging
0: yeah and
1: and Pa comes with them too. Yeah. And still not sober, but he's no. going with them to New Orleans.
0: But Donovan and Dusty together make so much sense now. They Where do. they were the they were the ice cream and whiskey, and now they're ice cream and whiskey. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like they didn't go together, but in some weird way they do now. I love the fact that that the movie ends on this note and I like the fact that they take Amos and Theodore with them.
1: I do too. Which begs the question, did it need a sequel? Which we are going to find out because spoiler alert, we're going to watch it next week. And can we, just while it's on my mind because now we've said it a million times, can we have ice cream and whiskey Yeah, Can sure. we watch the sequel? <laughs> yeah,
0: we can make milkshakes.
1: <laughs> um, no, I, I like that they go with them. I, I think it's a good way to tie it up because they were never really bad guys. No. They were just... They're not even 'er ne'er-do-wells. They're just... They're just bumbling fools. Exactly. They're helpless.
0: So, I guess, final review?
1: I guess so. I mean, this movie, we've said it a million times, was not at all what we were expecting it to be. But I was so pleasantly surprised by it. Is it a Disney classic? I don't know about that because and this is not to say that a film needs widespread popularity to be a classic but I think this is certainly one and maybe this is just a generational thing this is certainly one that I think got buried and forgotten about and I certainly hope especially because it's the apple dumpling gang If you're going by alphabetized films, it's up at the top. I hope that people are seeing it and taking a chance and rolling the dice because, like I said, I was so pleasantly surprised. It's a great story. It's a layered story. I think the characters could have used a little bit more development, but they're still really, really likable. This film has so much heart, and it is the hidden golden nugget, pun most definitely intended, Now, do I think that, like we said, we're going to examine if it needed a sequel or not. Just by the popularity of its time, that is why they decided to give it a sequel. I think that has a little bit more to do with Tim Conway and Don Knotts than anything else. And their popularity and people gravitating towards the comedic duo. And that's why they got the sequel. Does it need a remake I think this is a movie of its time. I don't think that it's ever going to or really needs a remake, but I'm hoping that, let's say we go and revisit this era. What I would love to see come from this is if they did kind of a spoofy Western, but they gave us a story about the wildest ride in the wilderness, and they did something to incorporate Big Thunder Mountain.
0: So you know that they're doing it with Jungle Cruise. I can see them incorporating elements of this into a big Thunder Mountain movie where you sort of get a sequel, or not a sequel, but a remake that's just not called the Apple Dumpling Gang. Mm -hmm. I'm going to disagree with a lot of what you said. Oh. I think this is a Disney classic. I think it's forgotten about, but I think it's a classic all the same. I loved this movie. I think it's got a ton of rewatchability. I think it gets better every time you see it. And other than the fact that I really enjoyed it, I'll tell you why I think it is a Disney classic, albeit forgotten about. It got its sequel, Apple Dumpling Gang Rides Again, which, without knowing anything about it, I hope is really just more a spin-off film with Amos and Theodore. I think it is, because I... I, I don't see where you could I feel like the story of the children has been told but even but I think this movie where the movie's a little deceiving is I know it's called The Apple Dumpling Gang I know the kids serve as the motivation for everything that happens but I feel like this is a film about Donovan and Dusty so I feel like Donovan and Dusty are A and I feel like the children and Amos and Theodore kind of trade back between like 2A and 2B in terms of the hierarchy and who the story is really about.
1: I would agree with that. I feel like it's a romance every bit as much as it is a Western.
0: So, you get the sequel. But, there was a television film, Tales of the Apple Dumpling Gang, yes, that came out that I don't believe is on Disney+. Plus. And then... They spun off into a television series that only lasted six episodes called Gunshy, which was a spin off of The Apple Dumpling Gang. And I think more than anything else, not only was this a box office hit, but we know how Disney, for the longest time, was not going to release a lot of their films onto videotape. Certainly not. The animated films, they didn't do it until they released Pinocchio in the 80s, or the, the mid to late 80s. This was one that they pegged. This was one of the first Disney films to ever get released on video cassette. Wow. So in the five to six years after this film was released, they really did invest a lot into it a sequel, a made-for-TV film, a television series, and they thought enough of it to be one of the first video cassettes released, yet it has become forgotten about. And I feel like this is one of those films, I'm not going to give it the perfect grade, but I think that this is one of those films that if you are just really wanting to delve into Disney+, Plus. And you want to find something that you've never heard of or you've only heard of in legend. I think the Apple Dumpling Gang is a film that not only holds up with its comedy or its story, but I think it holds up in terms of being an appreciated, albeit forgotten, Disney classic. I would agree. Seriously, Go watch it if you haven't. I, uh, this you is, won't
1: be sorry that you invested the time.
0: A couple of months ago when I said, we're going to do what the February, we have to do the Apple Dumpling Gang. We're th- eating our words I, now. I, I did not think this was the review that we were going to do. No. But I'm interested in knowing what you have to say. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Have you seen this film and what did you think of it? News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick
2: break. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalesi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure you're guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zelezi from Magical Vacation Planner.
1: So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email me at j.zelezi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com.
0: News this week, we got a couple of trailer drops on Super Bowl Sunday. Congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and all of the Bucks fans out there. We got a riot trailer. Okay, it's exciting. We're getting closer to the release. But I think the bigger trailer drop by far is Falcon and the Winter Soldier because we've seen a few trailers for Raya. We really haven't seen a full-fledged trailer for Falcon and the Winter Soldier just yet.
1: Well, Raya's also been pushed. So we've been seeing that for a while. This is completely new.
0: Listen, it looks great. Obviously, the MCU has really set the standard high with what they're doing with WandaVision. But the production value on this show looks like something you'd see in a movie theater. I think it looks just as good as anything that we've seen in terms of Mandalorian.
1: So question for you. They've been teasing this Captain America appearance. Do you think it's going to come in WandaVision and we're going to see... Steve Rogers moving through time, or do you think it's coming in Winter Soldier?
0: I definitely think it's coming in the Winter Soldier. Well, actually, no. No, I think it's coming in WandaVision. Because Falcon I, and
1: Winter Soldier is predictable, right? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think they kind of, ha- they handed the reins over, so I don't think you'll see him there. I think you will see him in WandaVision, because now we are just seeing so many crossovers in the multiverse now, and that's the most I'll say if you haven't watched it yet from last week, but it's exciting. That's where my money's at if we see Steve Rogers again.
1: I'm kind of hoping. I mean, they just keep packing so many punches. Really, what more could you ask for? But this would be a really nice cameo.
0: They want Golden Globes, and they just might get them because they got a slew of nominations this year, I'll read you the a uh, quickly quick list here. Uh, Golden Globe nominations: Best Animated Feature Film that went to Soul. Best Original Score went to Soul. These are nominations, of course. Uh, I know I've said it three times, but these are not the actual awards, not yet, at least.
1: You're you're announcing them as though they are.
0: Mm. Um, well, some of them I think are kind of slam dunks. The others, eh, I don't know. With such little content, I mean. Well, like Hamilton, okay, Best Motion Picture. I don't think this is a Best Picture nomination in a year that is isn't 2020, if I'm being honest with you.
1: I would agree with that. That, But that's the thing. There's slim pickings. So, of course, things that normally wouldn't have been on the radar are getting these nominations.
0: I mean, they're talking about Borat getting a nomination. So just to put in perspective where we are with nominations oh, this
1: year. Oh, boy. Uh, well, Lin-Manuel deserves his nomination. Yeah,
0: Best Actor, he got that nom. Best Drama Television Series nomination, The Mandalorian. Just give them the award right now. And Best Feature uh, Animated Film, Onward. Soul beats Onward, Mandalorian beats everybody, and everybody beats Hamilton. I'm. That's my guess. I'm interested to get your take on that.
1: No, I would totally agree with that. And we, we just said basically we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Not that Hamilton is bottom of the barrel, but Mandalorian is certainly not. So I hope they give that the recognition that it deserves. And you know what? It doesn't matter because Favreau can't lose with Disney. No matter what he does, he's knocked it out of the park. So even if he doesn't get validated by an award he's already got it by the fan base and that's what's really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to follow us on that social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. Email us anytime, monorealradio at gmail.com. Of course, like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. And for links to the show, where we can be found, as well as the social media, you can always go to monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone.